Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, we are kicking off the year. I know that last Sunday was technically the first Sunday of the year, but it was still a holiday, and we wanted to give everybody the best opportunity we could to participate in this. So we are kicking off the year with a prayer service this morning. Um, and I'm not trying to be to exaggerate or be dramatic when I say this, but I feel confident this will be the most important thing that we do today and possibly the most important thing that we can do all year uh, for us to come together. It may not be the only time we do it this year, but for us to come together and pray. And, and I know that this is my heart, that God continues to teach me this more and more and more. And I pray that it's your heart, that it will be our heart together, that there would be this thing in us that says, God, the things that I need you to do the most, only you can do. The things that matter the most, only you can do. The things that I need the most in my life, the things that you need the most in your life, the things that we need the most as a church are things that only God can do. And we are desperate for him to do that. We depend on him to do that. We trust him to do that. And we're asking him to do that because of who he is, because of what he's revealed about himself, because of, of who he has shown himself to be in Jesus and in the gospel and in the Bible and throughout history and in our lives, the way he's already worked and revealed himself to us, because we believe who he is. We believe that, that he answers when we ask. We believe that he gives, that he, he opens doors when we knock. Right? That ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. And Jesus says, so be persistent in prayer and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And so we want to come together today and do that, believing who God is. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Matthew 6. Um, that's where the, the Lord's Prayer is, when Jesus teaches on prayer. But instead of just reading those verses, I really hated, you know, they come in the whole, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. You know me, I thought about reading all three chapters, but I had mercy on you today, and we're just going to do chapter 6, but I just felt like we couldn't rip it out of chapter 6. So we're going to read all of chapter 6, and we're going to do what we usually do for a few minutes. I want you all to share some truths about God, because I think it's always good for us if the Bible can teach us how to pray, if the Bible can guide how we pray. So we'll spend a few minutes, okay, this is what God's saying in his word. Let's let that tell us what to pray now, and then we'll pray together. Before we jump into that, I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I just wanted to cover a couple things real quickly. At the end, um, we are going to have the Lord's Supper, and I know you probably already know that because the, the cup and the bread's in your... Like by the time I get up here and say this, either you already have noticed and you know that, or you've already sat on that and you know that by now. And so either way, like you know, but I just I think it's good to remind you that's where we're headed, and you can focus your heart and mind in that direction, so the kids will come in for that. And then as far as the, the Q&A after the service... That is for anything that would be helpful to you. And I know, I think we've said that before when we do those. But like, if you have questions about the church in general, if you're new here, obviously that's for you. But also, however long you've been here, if there's stuff we've covered on Sunday mornings and you want follow-up or clarification, or especially like if I've said something that was unclear or maybe wrong or unbiblical, we would love to dialogue about that in there. But so when you come in there, just know I've got nothing prepared. Like if you walk in there, you know, it's Q and A. If you walk in there and don't Q, we'll sit and stare at each other for about five minutes. And I'll be like, all right, let's go home. 
right? So that is your time, but everything's on the table. You can ask whatever you want. You can disagree with whatever you want. We can talk about anything that's helpful to you. If you're just like, hey, I've just got this question I've been wondering about. We can talk about that or anything about the church, anything about the Bible, anything about the way we study the Bible, we'd love for you to come in, and we'll have more than enough pizza, so if you didn't sign up, don't worry about it. Join us for that time. Um, so I just wanted you to know that was kind of the idea there, and, and everybody's welcome. Along the lines of everybody's welcome, that I should back up to this. Android users, you are welcome here. <laughs> right? Jew, Gentile, Android, Apple, the two become one. You're welcome here. Now, I don't, I don't care about that. I really don't have... A dog in that fight, but just want you to know you're welcome here. And also, along the same lines, I've heard a rumor that there is a grassroots petition going around to have live announcements with Keith and, Keith and Carol every week. So if you would like to vote in that petition on your Connect card and drop it in the box on the way out, you're welcome to do that, and we'll, we'll see where that can go. We may save Justin some time on videos most weeks. I think that's everything along those lines. Um, I want to make sure we've got plenty of time to pray together. And so I'm going to try to be careful when you share your truths here in a minute that I don't say too much like I do so often because I want us to get to the time of praying. And so let me pray for us right now. I'm going to read Matthew 6 and ask you to be listening for what's this teach us about God. And especially today, be thinking, if that's true about God, what does that teach us about prayer? about how we should pray, because that is how Jesus teaches in this chapter. He keeps saying, this is who God is. Remember who your Father in heaven is. Because that's who he is, pray this way and not this way. Like That's really what he's saying. The way you pray is based on whether or not you really know who God is. So we're going to read chapter 6. What's this teach us about God? And then we'll talk about what's it teach us about prayer, and then we're going to try to pray that way. The way that Jesus would say, if you know God as your Father, let's pray this way. So let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege of studying your word together. Thank you for the privilege of being able to know you because you speak and reveal yourself to us by your spirit and your word. And thank you for the privilege that you invite us to come to you and talk to you and tell you what we need and confess to you that we are broken and ruined and lost without you. And that if you don't show up and do the things that only you can do, there is no hope for us. And so we need you to do them, and we ask you to do them, and we trust you to do them because of the promises that you have already made, because of the things that you have already said, because of what you have already shown us in Jesus. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in who you are. Our hope is in your faithfulness. Our hope is in your grace. Our hope is in your mercy. Our hope is that you have chosen to be our Father. And you love us because of your great love. Help us to see that, to see you, and to believe you more right now than we ever have. And so we come together as your children and your family and your church. And we cry out, Abba, Father, have mercy and hear us and answer us today.
Speak to us and teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Matthew 6. And this is Jesus talking in the middle of his sermon. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, for a few minutes, hopefully to set context for us. What's that teach us about God? Biggest things that jump out to you. Right. Yeah. And that's actually, sometimes it's weird when you're familiar with certain, uh, sorry, if you're listening online, she, she said, don't do kind things or good things just to get acknowledgement or for people to recognize you. That ultimately, if that is your motive, you could do a billion really good things that look really good on the outside and that a setting like this celebrates and praises you. It's like, look how, like, this is the ideal church member. If we could just duplicate her over and over and over and over. And humanly speaking and worldly speaking, everything may look the way we want on the outside. And your heart may be absolutely wretched and rotten because you're so self-centered and everything you do is actually about yourself. Right? That, that even the best things you do externally, internally, are still about you and not about God. And so what's weird, what I was going to say is, when, when you get into one of these passages where some of this is, for those of us that have been around the Bible some and in church some, and it's perfectly fine if this is all new to you. Like, we love that here. We, we love to walk with you and say, hey, let's look at what Jesus said. Like, actually look at it together, maybe for the first time in your life. What the Bible actually says, not what we've heard, not what other people say it says, but what it actually says and let it speak to us. And so it's fine if you've never heard any of this, but for a lot of us that have spent some time in the Bible, you know, the, the section of the Lord's Prayer here is, a lot of people have heard that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. People have heard that. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's several familiar sections here, but I don't know that we usually think of chapter 6 as all going together. Like, it's one of the bad things about taking just a few, ver like our, our bumper sticker Christianity, our T-shirt Christianity, like our, our, our little cliches, that they're true, but they're always true in a larger context. And ultimately, the larger context is the entire Bible and all of history where God's been telling the story about himself. And so when you connect it all here, like where we're starting right here is actually the main point. It's the unifying theme of all of chapter 6. Jesus starts, it's like, he's like, here's my thesis for chapter 6 up front. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And he gives three examples, and he's like, don't give this way, don't pray this way, don't fast this way. And then he says, here's why. If you do that, you're storing up treasures on earth. Like you're revealing that what your heart really wants is for people to think highly of you, for people to respect you, for people to praise you, for people to think that you look good. And everything you do, all of your motives, it's all growing out of self. It's growing out of me, I. Like it, it's, it's because of you. It's for you. It's about you. And believe it or not, no matter what you do, like if you come to church and you give and, and you take meals to people and you pray with us and you read your Bible and you lead a community group and, and you clean the bathrooms here for us and you do all this stuff and it's all about you, that's all sin. All of it. Like it's the core of what's wrong with all of us. That we live like our life is about us. We live like the universe is about us. The, the, the decision that Adam and Eve made at that moment in the garden is the decision that all of us make over and over and over when we say, hey, God, it's not about you, it's about me. And we don't like, usually say it that blatantly. 
But we say it maybe a million times a day until the Spirit starts to change our hearts and turn us back to Him, turn us out off of ourselves and out to Him. And you can take anything in your life, no matter how good somebody may say it may be or how bad somebody may say it may be or anything in between, you can take anything in your life and make it about you. And like I promise, the reason I know that is because I do that. But you can corrupt and twist anything with the sin that is in your heart and make it about you. And Jesus says, if you do your good stuff for earthly, like for yourself, to get praise so people will see you, to make yourself look better, to feel better about yourself, to kind of pile up, hey, here's my good stuff, it outweighs my bad, so I don't have to worry about that now. Whatever it is, if your motivation for what you do is you in any way, he says, your reward's on earth, and it's not going to last. Right? Moth and rust destroy, thieves steal. It's temporary, it's trivial, it's trite, and you're wasting your life. Like, it's possible that there are millions of people in North American churches. It's possible that every one of us sitting here this morning, that, that we come and we participate and we do all this religious stuff every week and we're wasting our lives because it's about us and not about Jesus. Because it's about our kingdom and not about his kingdom. And people are praising and they're celebrating and they're talking about how great it looks and how many good things are happening and all the momentum that's being built. And it's all about our name and not his name. And so Jesus, I mean, he just leads off right here with a haymaker. And he's like, be careful. Religious people. And, and remember, like, he's got some really religious people in his day and age. The Pharisees, they pretty much memorized the whole Bible that exists at that point in time. The whole Old Testament. Like they're marching around quoting it all the time. The, the rules that God gave them in the Old Testament, that wasn't enough for them because they're so good and they're so righteous. So they made up more rules and more rules and more rules. Like they're, they're more strict than the Bible is. And he says, be careful not to be like those hypocrites. Like that's Jesus' take on the most religious people of his time. They're all hypocrites. It's all fake. It's all a facade. They make it look on the outside like they're good, but it's all about them. And being all about them is the essence of sin. And so it is like if he walked in today and he was like, be careful. Oh, here's my word to you. Be careful that you're not like all those pastors you know. Be careful that you're not like all those priests that you know. Be careful that you're not like all those church members that you know. Don't do it like they do it. Because it's still about them. Be careful that your heart actually wants God and is looking to God and needs God and is crying out to God that God's the motivation, that God's the source, that God's the focus, and that God's the goal. Bad news is I talked a lot right there. Good news is we just covered the whole chapter. But truth is about God. It's about God all about God. It's for God. It's from God. It can only be by God. Like He has to do this in us. If you're the source, if you're the motivation, if you're the power for what you're doing, it's the opposite of what Jesus is warning you to not be that, not do it that way. It does, you, can't, you cannot measure and evaluate what you're doing. Like that's what he's saying. The what does not matter. Your acts of righteousness do not matter. That's the what. The why. Why. For you or for him. And the how. 
by you or by him? Who will get the glory? Whose name is it for? Are you making a name for yourself or are you making the name of Jesus? Great. Are we making a name for our little kingdom here at French? Like, will people know the name of this church or will people know the name of Jesus? All right. Y'all want to add to that? Like, we could probably put 20 more truths if you want to, or something new. Or I may have hijacked what you were saying. Like, do you want to redirect me? Okay. <laughs> She's like, I'm afraid to say anything else. <laughs> we'll never get out of here. What else? Big truths about God. We can rely on God to provide for us. And then Adam said, and relying on anything else is like digging a well that's a dry hole. Pen's not working very good today. Not that I ever write well anyway. But, and, and the emphasis there is like you can rely on God. He is trustworthy. He does provide. He is dependable. You know, the way that Jesus says it, he's like, look at the birds. He takes care of the birds. And in spite of the fact that we live in a world that treats humans and nature a lot of times like they're exactly the same and equal, they aren't in God's eyes. Like, he loves his creation. He takes care of his creation. But he has created human beings in a unique and special way that he hasn't created anything else, that we were made in his image. Like, Jesus came to, to redeem people and make them the children of God. Now, Romans 8 has this great promise that God's going to redeem all of creation along with us, that he's going to like sweep it up in the redemption of us when Jesus comes back. But the point Jesus makes right here is God loves the birds. God loves the flowers. He takes care of them. He loves you even more. Like you have an even more elevated and exalted and special place in the heart of God than anything else in creation. And he's still taking care of it, and he will take care of you. He will provide for you. You can trust him, and you can depend on him. And you can tell him what you need, because Jesus says, hey, he knows you need this stuff. Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it. You'll be fine without it. Do you notice that? That's not what he says. He says, don't worry about it. God knows you need it. And he will give you what you need. He will. What else? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's a... Oh. <laughs> this is like a year in the Psalms right here. And she said, God knows, basically, like when you're not being honest in your prayers. And one of the ways that we see it in this whole chapter is Jesus is like, hey, all these religious people that are praying all the time and all you humans are really impressed with their religious vocabulary and all the Bible they know and all the scriptures they can quote while they're praying and, and how much they pray and how good their voice sounds when they pray. Like all the things you're impressed, God knows that what they're saying isn't what's really in their hearts. Like, he knows they're not being honest about it. And listen, first of all, that is overwhelmingly scary if you take it seriously. 
Like it should humble us and break us in a certain way because it's like, I can't hide from him. I can hide it from everybody else. I can make it sound good. I can, you know who polishes it up really well in the New Testament? Judas. <laughs> like the guy that betrays Jesus. The, the guy that we think, hey, he's the, the, the worst villain of all. You remember when the, the sinful lady breaks the perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet? And Judas doesn't like that. Because really what's going on in his heart is, like, Jesus isn't worth that. Judas loves money. He used to steal out of the money bag, is what the Gospels tell us. But Judas, he can't just say that. Instead, it's like, I know how to make this sound really good and religious. And he says, what a waste. That could have been sold and all the money given to the poor. That sounds good, doesn't it? Like he takes something that, like, he was really angry in his heart because his heart didn't value Jesus the way that his heart should, but he didn't just want to say, Jesus isn't worth that, because he knows everybody would think, well, that's the wrong thing to say. So instead, he dresses it up, and he makes it sound religious, and he makes it sound good. We do that with each other all the time, and that's bad. <laughs> when we do that in prayer, it's awful. God knows. Do you know what a mockery it is for you to come to him and act like he doesn't know what's really in your heart? To act like he doesn't know what you're really thinking? To act like he doesn't know what you're really feeling? To say things to him that aren't true in your heart? And listen, it is a challenge. I find it in my life anyway. To say, all right, I'm going to lay my heart bare before you. Because I start saying some of this stuff. And it's like, how could he love me? How could he, accept, how could he listen to this? And then you go read the Psalms or you read the book of Job and you're like, Oh, he's not, he's not threatened. God's not threatened by your pain. God's not threatened by your doubt. God's not threatened by your fear. God's not threatened by your anger. God's not threatened by your accusations. He, he's so secure in himself and he's so secure in his love for you that he opens his arms wide. He's like, come say anything you want as long as you say it to me. If it's what's in your heart, bring it to me. Talk through it with me. I will still love you. I will still accept you. I will still help you with that. And he's like, I want you to believe that so much that I'm going to put it in my word over and over and over. You go just read the Psalms. I know I say that a lot up here, but I'm begging you. Read the Psalms and the things that God inspired people by his spirit to pray to him and then write down in here as examples for us of things they said when they were desperate and in pain and hurting and dying on the, in the bottom of the dark, dark black hole. Like read those things and God's like, I know, I know this is what it's like when you're there. And I know that you feel wrong things and you think wrong things and you say wrong things. That's fine. Don't hide them from me. Bring them to me. And so, yeah, like it's, it's so dangerous for us to be dishonest in our prayer because God already knows when we're being dishonest in our prayer. Whether it is, hey, I'm trying to make this sound like it's about God, but it's really about me. Like we can do that. Or I'm just trying to make it sound like I really trust God right now and I'm really, I'm content with this and I'm at peace. And I'm not. Like if you're not, tell him that. If you're struggling, tell him that. If you're desperate and needy and your heart is wounded within you, that's a direct quote from the Psalms. Say that to him. And then the same way, like if you're coming to God and you're like, okay, I realize now this really is about me and it's not about you. And you know what? I still want it to be that way. Then say that too. That, that is what confession is. Confession is not coming and saying, hey God, I was wrong, but I'm right now, so everything's good. 
That's not confession. That's you saying I've taken care of it and I'm right now. Confession is coming and saying, this is what's wrong in me. I admit it. That's what confession is admitting. I admit there are things that are wrong in me. I admit that I don't want you as much as I should. I admit that I don't love you as much as I should. And I admit that I will never get there unless you do something in me and for me. I need you. And so I'm going to quit pretending that I can get there and I can get it right and do it. And I'm going to admit to you that I can't and I'm going to ask you to do what only you can do. See, and that's the most dangerous thing if we aren't honest when he already knows is if you aren't honest about what's wrong in your heart, you're never going to ask for what you really need. And your father is waiting to give you what you really need. But if you go on to chapter 7, which we didn't go to, Jesus says, so ask. Ask and seek and knock. And it's really keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And he says it in a way, and James says it really clearly in James 4. He's like, you have not because you ask not. And so if you puff yourself up and build yourself up like this successful religious person who has everything right on the outside, and then in order to maintain that facade, you can't admit even to God how broken and desperate and needy you are. So, and if you can't admit that, you can't ask for what you really need from him. You're not going to get it if you don't ask. Like he's saying that. He's saying, he's saying it's available to you. It's free to you. It's open to you. I will pour it out on you. So come ask. That you're not earning it when you ask. I mean, it would be like, it'd be like my daughter's, I don't know, wanting to buy some new motorized thing that's a thousand bucks is way more than what they can afford. And they come and, and they say, Daddy, will you give us a thousand bucks so we can buy that? And I'm like, yes, because you asked, I will. They didn't earn that by asking, right? <laughs> we don't get confused, but we don't think that suddenly that that question meant they earned it or deserved it, that it was some kind of work and merit on their behalf. Like asking is the, the most basic form of faith there can be. I don't have this, you do. I need this. I believe you'll give it to me. So I'm going to ask. Like, like asking is such in line with what the grace of God is to give. And so he's like, so be honest. Be, don't, don't pray like you're so righteous and you have it all together. Don't pray like you're so impressive. You're, pray like Jesus is impressive. Pray like Jesus has it all together. Pray like Jesus has everything you need and you need everything he has. Be honest about you and be honest about him. And then see, just see what God just might give you in Jesus. This is kind of an application, but be honest when you pray to God in, in every way, however God wants to apply that to your heart. And God knows what you need, and God knows your heart. One of the things I find in my life with this is that God already knows all that, and a whole lot, and of course, by the way, anytime we interpret our own experiences, we can be wrong. Like, we're that we're just that fallen, we're that finite. So if this doesn't fit things you say in the Bible, reinterpret it by what you see in the Bible. But what I have found in my walk with God is that God already knows all this, but a whole lot of what he does in my life is to show me what he already knows. Like, he knows what you need. He wants you to know what you need. That he knows your heart. He wants you to know your heart. 
Uh, he, he will bring circumstances and situations and things into your life to help you see this because the more you know this, the more you're going to know how you really need him. Like the more it, and so when you're praying, it's not so that you can inform him of something he doesn't know. A lot of times it's because as you pray, he'll start informing you of what you need to know so that you can ask him for it. Like his spirit will be talking to you while you're talking to him. And he will talk to you through your own prayers. He'll talk to you through his word. He'll talk to you through your kids. He'll talk to you through all sorts of people and circumstances that he brings into your life. And he'll, just keep, he'll talk to you through your own struggles and your own sin and just the darkness of your own and how self-centered you really are in the depths of your heart. And he'll say, hey, do you see what I see? Let me help you see it. Do you know what I know? Let me show you. Let me, and, and not to leave you here. Yeah, yes, to break you but to put you back in a better way. Yes, to humble you, but because it's only the humble who can be exalted. Yes, to, to crucify your reliance on yourself, but so that we can resurrect a real reliance on Jesus, a real faith in Jesus. And so he knows. And as he shows you what he knows, be honest with him about where you are and honest about your need and believe, like really believe that he's offering you what you don't have and he's offering you what you can't earn. Because we really, sometimes we still come praying like, all right, somehow I've got to convince him. Somehow I've got to prove to him that I should get this. And so I can't admit. I can't admit that I've got nothing going for me and I've got no claim. I can't admit how bad off I am or he'll never answer. That's precisely why he answers. Like, <laughs> start to finish in the Bible. Like, I really, I dare you to read the whole thing. How often is it that God who he chooses, what he does when he gives. It's not because of how good they were or how much they had. It's because they had nothing. They weren't qualified. They didn't deserve it. That's, that's what his grace and compassion and mercy is drawn to. Need and emptiness and brokenness and lostness. Like all the stuff we tried to hide as religious people. He says, confess it, expose it, bring it out into life, and then watch me heal it. Watch me redeem it. Watch me fill it up. All right, one more, and then we got to pray. Yeah. Yeah, and there's obviously in this whole thing, Jesus is the best teacher who's ever walked on the face of the earth. And we could unpack every verse in the Sermon on the Mount like for weeks in each verse. And so to do a whole chapter in 30 minutes is insane in some ways. Except, you know, he taught the whole thing all at once. So it's just, but just know that it's like a 
fire hydrant, and it's great to come back, and it would be great for you to come back, just piece after piece, and let him keep speaking to you. But this section right here that Ken's pointing out from 19 to 21 is really a hinge that connects back to the first part. And then he, like, the first part he's saying, hey, don't be focused on the praise of man. That could be your treasure. And then he also like, oh, you know what else could be your treasure? Money could be your treasure. Both earthly things that don't last and don't matter. And he's saying with either of those things, if that's what your treasure, that's where your, what you treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. And you see right here, just for the billionth time, God cares about your heart. He cares about where your heart is. Is your heart focused on him? Yeah, because in a way, I think if we were to just try to summarize what Jesus says there, if your heart is focused on things that aren't him, he is light. He is the source of light. So if your heart is focused on things that aren't him, on darkness, then your whole life is darkness. No matter If your heart is focused on the praise of man for yourself, then all these good things you do are darkness. If your heart is focused on money, whether it's because you get security from that or you get enjoyment from that, those may be our two main motivations, or maybe power, status and prestige. We can probably just keep listening. What, what does money give all? It's all kinds of stuff, right? Security, pleasure, power, status. Whatever it is, nobody wants money just for money. Competition, pride, so I can have more than you. It's, we're getting a long list now, aren't we? Whatever, like, whatever it is, there's always something deeper in your heart that's going on. And whatever, it, whatever the reason is that makes you want that and focus on that more than you focus on God, all that's darkness. It's either got to be God is your security or something else. God is your hope or something else. God is where you find your status or somewhere else. God is your deepest joy or something else is. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, he goes right on and he says, so when you focus on God, realize that you're focused on the one who loves you. You're focused on the one, and this is beyond comprehension, but you're focused on the one who's focused on you, who cares about you, who's taking care of you. And he'll give you some of these things. But then he won't give you, the, like, if you get them for yourself, it's about you. When he gives them to you, it's about him, because he's the giver. All right. I want to remind us of what the kids said last week as we get ready to pray. And as we pray, remember these things about God. I pray that right now God will help you believe these things and we'll pray believing these things about him. We did the same passage with them last week if you weren't here with us with the kids in the Jesus Storybook Bible. God is loving. God is kind. God is a protector. God can do anything. God knows everything. God loves us no matter what. God is helpful. God is a great father, greater than any father on earth. You should trust God. God is trustworthy. Praying is the most important thing we can do. Pray first. God made us the way he wants us to be. And then today we added it's about God, it's for God, it's from God. It can only be by God. We can rely on God to provide for us. Be honest when you pray to God. God knows what you need. God knows your heart. God cares about your heart. So for these next few minutes, let's walk through this prayer that Jesus gave us. Our Father, I want you to take just a minute right now 
And I want you to thank God that Jesus said you can call him Father. You read the whole Testament, the people that were most intimate with God, like David, it's amazing to read the Psalms where he's always like, your servant, your servant. He's still calling himself God's servant. And Jesus shows up with a whole new revelation about God right here. And he's like, you're not just his servant, you're his child. When Jesus comes and fully reveals who God is and how God loves you, he loves you as a father. He adopts you. Romans 8 says that he puts his spirit in you, a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. Like His spirit living in you as a believer is teaching you to know him as Father. And so just think about the perfect love and intimacy and care that a father would have for you. So I want you to thank God. Just reflect on that. Bask. Thank God. Help, ask him to help you know what it means for him to be your father. And then our like, God being our Father is the basis for all of community in the Christian world, in the church. That we are a family. That our view of the church and our view of one another is that we are brothers and sisters in a family and that we would be united that way. And when we talk about community groups, this is why. Not because it's a good strategy for the church. Because God's your Father and He wants you to be in relationship and community like this. When we talk about sharing our life with one another, this is why. When we talk about all the one another commands of the New Testament, this is why. And so pray that God would unite us this way. Pray that God would create this type of community and love and relationship within our church, and he would help us build that with others. So let's start there. Focus on God as your Father and thank him, and ask him to make us an our community where we're joined together in our relationship for him. Just pray for a minute, and then we'll move on to the next section. Father, thank you for loving us and adopting us and making us your children. Help us to know you and trust you as Father. And help us become a family that really loves one another. Help us to look as your children the way that many of us as parents understand that we want our children to look, the way we want them to love each other. Help us to really love each other that way, to love as you have loved us. I pray, Father, specifically for us as a church that we would continue to grow in the ways that we are connecting with one another in community groups and Bible studies, in daily life and praying for one another and sharing our needs with one another and meeting each other's needs in loving one another and submitting to one another and giving ourselves for each other because of who you are and because you are our Father. Make us like that as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In heaven... Think about what it means, really, 
for him to be the God in heaven who rules over everything. Think about his glory in heaven, his power in heaven, his place where he sits above all things and sees all things and knows all things and is ultimately working out all things for his purposes, for his end. If that's the power and the wisdom and the sovereignty and the greatness of this God in heaven, be in all of that. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to worship him for that. And then this word Father, it's a really good translation. And when we say Abba, like it says in Romans 8, it's the right translation, but it's intimate in that language. You know, Father isn't always intimate in our It's very formal in our language. It's like different words can have different shades of meaning. There's a lot of ways you can say, this is Daddy. Like that's the way we would say it now in modern English. And so I want you to think about this God who rules up here in heaven like this and then kneels down so he can look you in the eyes and he's your daddy who loves you. Be in all of who he is and then thank him for the way he loves you. And then so we pray, okay, so that's who you are in heaven. Now down here on earth, we're asking these things. Your name, let your name be hallowed, made holy, sanctified, set apart, recognized as holy. Let your name be great here the way it is there. Let your kingdom come here the way that it does. So about your name, let, let Jesus be seen as king here. Let Jesus' kingdom's advancing here the way that it's already established in heaven. And then your will be done. The way that your will is done perfectly and all the things that you say are already completely carried out in heaven. Let us see that here. And I think that's what he's, we're saying. Hey, we know it's already true there. But we're weak and we're, our eyes can't see that way and our flesh gets in the way. Show us here. Let us see it here. Let your name be made great here. Let Jesus reign as king here. Let your will be done here. And so just pray these things right now for his name to be great, for Jesus to be seen as king, for his will to be done in your life in this church, for him to show us and let us see it and sweep us up in it the way that it is in heaven, in all of his awesomeness in heaven. And when he stoops down as our loving daddy, that he brings it in a way that we see it here on earth and get to celebrate it and praise him for it. Will you pray that section now? Abba, Father, Daddy. We praise you for your glory and your beauty and your brilliance and your splendor and your might and your power as you reign in heaven over all things. And we pray, Father, bring that fullness and that glory 
into our lives and into this church and into your world right now as it is in heaven. Let your name be made great. Let your kingdom come. Let King Jesus rule in our hearts and King Jesus rule in his church and King Jesus rule in his world. And your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our next one. What do you need right now? What do you need today? He says you can ask him. So ask him. Open invitation right now. The God we've been talking about. What do you need today? Ask him right now. Whatever it is. You pray and I'll close this in a minute. Father, for every need in this room right now, for every piece of emptiness and for every piece of brokenness, for every regret, for every hurt, for every worry, for every fear, we look to you right now and we ask you give us what we need. We can't fill these things. We can't fix these things. We can't do these things apart from your hand. Apart from you, there is no good thing. And we believe you as Father. We trust you as Father and we ask you as Father. I pray, Father, that this very week, people in this room We'll get to see your hand and your provision and your care and your comfort and your healing and your redemption in ways that they have never seen before and that they will know that it is you and not them and they will know that it's because of you and not because of us and that your name will be made great because of the way you pour out your grace on your people as you take care of us as your children. Give us today what we need today, Father. We look to you because there is nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Forgive us our debts. Don't blow past this. I want you to think about everything we've prayed in the past 10 minutes or so out of this prayer. Like everything that I've dared you to ask God for because Jesus says pray these type, these huge, massive spiritual prayers. And right in the middle of it, Jesus is like, oh, by the way, I know you don't have anything to your credit. You're in debt. <laughs> Like, you're not coming to a God and you're like, hey, I redeemed my gift card. Here's what I can exchange. How much do, I've built up a whole bunch of points on my religious credit card. What can I get for them? No, you're in debt. You owe him. Like, you're supposed to be coming and paying him, giving to him. And Jesus is like, I know that's where you are. Here's, instead of you trying to pay God, here's what I want you to do. Ask him to pay for your debt. Ask him to assume your debt and wipe it away and take it off of you and then be so bold and outrageous that when he's paying off your debt, you'd ask him for all this other stuff in addition. Do you know how ludicrous that is? I mean, really? It's like I haven't paid my rent for 18 months and the landlord's about to evict me and I I don't say, hey, give me time and I'll get caught up. Here's the payment plan. That's not what I say. I say, here's what I want you to do. Take my balance back to zero. I don't owe you anything. And then, by the way, you know that mansion on the beach? Let me live in it instead. Do you see that that's what's going on? right? Do you see the grace of God and the gospel right here? Because, God, this is our only hope. We won't get out of debt. We can't pay it. We can't earn this stuff. And this is who you say you are full of grace and life, truth, full of goodness, overflowing with compassion and mercy, rich in love. I'm poor in spirit, and you're rich in love. So I'm just going to ask you to pour out your great love and cover all my poverty. And so forgive us. And this one's really hard, and if we have two minutes here at the end, I'm going to try to address it. As we've also forgiven our debtors, And it's the only one that Jesus comes back and says more about. And he says a really hard thing. And so let's come back to that in just a minute. But then let's see again the humility continue. So I'm acknowledging that I've got debts, and my only hope is that you'll forgive them, that you won't hold them over my head, but you'll take them away, and you'll you'll forgive it. That you'll take away the things I owe you, and then you'll give to me things I could never earn. And I'm going to pray with that type of humility. I'm going to pray with that type of honesty. I'm going to pray with that type of confession about where I stand before you. And I'm going to pray with that type of faith in Jesus that he really does earn all this for me and that you will give all this to me. And then lead us not to temptation. This is the same word as testing, which, you know, it can be confusing when James says that God doesn't ever tempt you. And then Jesus is like, lead us not to temptation. But temptation and testing are the same words. And a lot of people say that when you're led into temptation, that is this test. And, and, but I want you to think about the, the humility right here where Jesus says, hey, recognize the fact that apart from the grace of God, you won't pass the test. Like, you know, Peter's the one that's like, whatever happens, I'll never abandon you. Like, bring on the test. Six hours later, what's Peter doing? I don't even know him. God forbid that you say I'm one of his disciples. I know nothing about him. 
That's what happens when people are like, bring on the test, I can handle it. And God's like, oh, I need to show you that you can't. Until you know that you can't, you won't ever trust me the way that you should. And so humility says, God, I can't. Don't even take me into it. I can't. I can't. Not one more day, not one more minute. I can't. Don't lead me that way. Draw me closer to you. And then, when you know, when you know that that's where I have to go, when it is the valley of the shadow of death, and you're with me, deliver us from the evil one. If you're going to bring me into it, you've got to deliver me out of it. Because you're still the only one who can. All my hope is in you. But do you hear the humility that drips? And then I want you to think about Jesus headed to the cross. And even in the garden, just hours before he said, Father, if there's any other way, this is the Son of God. <laughs> he can do anything. He has everything at his disposal. And imagine the humility of the Son of God to say, I won't do this in my own strength. I won't use my own resources. I won't call down those angels for my sake. If there's any other way, don't lead me into this. But if you take me here, thy will be done. Deliver me. Take me through it. Into your hands I commit my spirit. But Jesus didn't just teach you this. Jesus lived this. He lived this to the death. And now he promises that he will live it in you. His spirit lives in you. To produce this type of humility, this type of faith, this type of dependence. And so I want you to come to God right now and pray. Where are the areas of your life that you need help, that you need to be rescued, that you need to be delivered? What are the things that are too big for you? What are the things that there is no solution if it's left up to you? There's just no way you can solve it. I want, to, I want you to pray for those. I've got a couple of specific things uh, that I want to share with you. And then we're going to try to spend a minute on the forgiveness thing and then the Lord's Supper. I'm just trying to let you know we're, we're going to get there in just a minute. So pray this section and then two specific prayers, forgiveness, Lord's Supper. Will you pray together right now? Father, we are debtors. We are poor in spirit. We owe you more than our life could ever pay for. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give us in Jesus, that he covers all of it, that he carries it all away, that he pays for all of it, and that you look at us and you tell us we owe nothing because he has paid it all. I pray that your grace will change our hearts in such a way that we would be so in awe and so aware of what you have lifted off of us that that grace would flow from us to everyone in our lives. That it would be something that we just have to share. Because we know, help us to know in the depths of our soul 
that we have more than we could ever need in you. And so we don't have to hold back and we don't have to protect ourselves and we don't have to take care of ourselves. That we can pour out in abundance because we will never be able to match the abundance of grace you've already given to us. And then, Father, help us while we are in this world and in this body and we keep fighting this fight of faith. We are weak and our heart grows faint so easily. God, you know, apart from you, we cannot endure. We cannot stand. We need you. And so we ask for mercy. Father, lead us around. Any test that we do not need to go through, lead us around it. And the ones when you look and you say, hey, this is necessary. This has to be done for you to know me the way that I want you to know me. Then God, deliver us through those. Take us by the hand. Pick us up in your arms. Like a shepherd carrying his sheep. And hold us close to your heart and carry us through. We know that you promise when we are in the valley of the shadow of death, not just that you are with us, but that you will bring us through it. Do not let us die in the middle, Father. Carry us through. We will not make it on our own. We need you and we trust you and we ask you to do it. Let us praise you and thank you for it a million times over in this church and in our lives. Let us be the people who just, we just get to celebrate so many times. God delivered me in this way and God delivered me in this way and God did this and God did this when there was no way out. God picked me up and carried me. Father, deliver us. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two specific things. These are important to me and I know we're getting close to the end and I'm trying to get there, I promise. I'm sorry. Uh, last May, no, May before, like a year and a half ago now, I introduced you to some missionary friends of mine, Miguel and Faith Saxar in Peru. Last May, Darren Foster and I went down there and spent some time with them. Um, the past six months have been extremely hard for them. Some people broke into Miguel's parents' home when he was visiting there, stole all their ministry computers, stole Miguel's passport and visa. And so they're not able to, it's a year-long process for him to get that back. So they haven't been able to come to the States. They haven't been able to visit um, their sponsor churches. And so that, that's just, that in and of itself is bad. The ministry has exploded, which we're thankful for. But it's been very overwhelming for them. It's grown far beyond, I think, what, what they've dealt with to this point. And as the growth has happened, this is a terrible thing. This is what happens when we're about our kingdom and not about the kingdom but they've faced and you you can imagine this and I don't think it takes much stretch at all for you to imagine this they've faced a lot of jealousy and opposition unfortunately from local churches um, they've, they've faced some struggles with trying to partner with churches and it's been very discouraging for them um, it has worn them down and, and there is a stress and a strain and a darkness on them that like when I stand up here and I say, hey, there's people I care about that I, I know there's nothing I can do to fix it, but it's on my heart. That's one of the situations. Um, and and you, some of you know them to a certain extent. So I'm just going to ask you to pray for them right now, for God's kingdom to continue to be built and for God to deliver them and to help them and to strengthen them. And, and Miguel and I just talked on Friday. I was like, hey, I'm going to have the church praying for you. And he was like, please do. Um, and so just know that they're struggling 
and that it's hard and that there's been great gospel disciple-making work going on and there is a battle and an attack from the enemy. And, and just pray. It is the best thing we can do. So I'm going to ask you to pray for them right now. Father, we pray for Miguel and Faith right now and for your kingdom work in Peru. And we ask you to give them everything they need, to be for them everything they need. We ask for your work in their hearts and in their lives and in their ministry. And we ask you to deliver them from the evil that they face right now, the struggles and the battles. We ask for you to show your grace in great and mighty ways and continue to build your kingdom and make disciples through them in Peru. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And I've got another uh, couple of friends that live here in Mount Juliet, Josh and Selena Brown. We've got two small children. Uh, they've had jobs here in the U.S. for a decade each, and they've felt the call into missions. And they're right now in process with uh, the ascending agency. And so as soon as that gets finalized, it's probably about the next two months, uh, I've invited them to come, and I'm hoping we get a Sunday morning where we get to meet them. And it gets to be another a couple, a local couple here that we can pray for and partner with and just journey with them as God sends them. Um, but they didn't want to jump the gun and come before everything gets finalized and they know where they're going and when, but it's probably this fall. So I just want to go ahead and put their names out there for you and ask you to be praying for them as they take these next few steps. I mean, it's selling their house, selling everything they own, packing up their less than a year old and three-year-old. Like if you can, I mean, like they know that God's calling them to do this. And I'm, I'm thankful that, that he's still doing that with people right here in our local churches. And so um, I want us to support them and encourage them as best we can. So I'm just going to ask you to pray for Josh and Selena right now in the process they're in, and, and hopefully in a couple months we'll get to hear from them, but just pray for them for a minute. Father, thank you for the way that you're working in Josh and Selena's life. 
thank you that you're still moving your people all over the world to make disciples of all nations. We pray that you will continue to work in their hearts and provide for them and lead them each step of the way and that they can just focus on you and see you and that that would be their part of the process. And then I pray for the ways that you will use them to multiply churches and make disciples. Help us as part of the church to love them and support them however you want us to assume that role. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we don't have time for explanation here, so I'm going to make a statement because this is really confusing, this forgiveness part. It, it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, you have to forgive to earn God's forgiveness. If you don't forgive, you don't get God's forgiveness. And I think if we've read enough of the context of the Bible and let the Bible interpret the Bible, we know that can't be right. There's nothing you can do to earn God's grace and forgiveness. It wouldn't be grace if, if that were the case. And so just a quick statement right here. What I believe Jesus is actually saying and what fits, like the right way to understand these verses, and I'm not minimizing them. Like he is saying, if you don't get to a place where forgiveness flows out of you, you have not been forgiven. If you don't get to a place where grace flows out of you, you haven't experienced grace. It's a serious warning. But what he's saying is, someone who really encounters the grace of God, someone who really begins to believe about themselves the things that we've seen in this section and believe about God the things we've seen in this section, their heart will start to change. They'll be overwhelmed by the grace and love that God offers to them. And as you experience God's grace, you will share God's grace. As you experience God's forgiveness, you will share God's forgiveness. So if you never share God's grace, if you never share God's forgiveness, that is a sign that you haven't really experienced it. You can say with your mouth that you have. You can say with your mouth that you believe. But if your heart never changes, you haven't experienced it yet. Grace, the grace of God is a powerful and life-changing thing. It does not mean that you are immediately perfect, right? There's testing and temptation and battles with the evil one for the rest of this life. Your flesh and the sin inside of you, there is a war going on, and only your father has enough strength for you. And when you don't trust him, you're going to falter. You're going to slip. You're going to fall. He's not saying immediate perfection, but he is saying there's ongoing change because you've encountered the one who's changing you. And so it's not like you just, I, I perfectly forgive everybody all of a sudden. <laughs> but it is, I know, I know that I'm desperate and lost without grace. I know that your grace is my only hope. And I don't want to live outside of grace. I want to live inside of grace. And grace is a place that's open to everybody. And so I can't ask for it for me and then not give it to others. I can't expect it for me and then deny it to others. And it's 20 sermons again. Listen, forgiveness, you forgiving, extending grace is not the same thing as reconciliation. God extends grace to everybody in Jesus. But not everybody's reconciled to him. Because forgiveness, one-way street. Grace, one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. The people that don't respond in faith, that never come back to the Father, aren't reconciled with him, even though he offers it. And there may be people that you forgive and extend grace to, and they never come back in reconciliation. And I'm not trying to put a burden of guilt on you this morning. I'm not trying to beat you down. I know how heavy this teaching right here can be. What I'm saying is encounter the grace of God more and more and more. Believe the grace of God in your life more and more and more, and it will flow out of you. And that's who God wants us to be, people of grace people of love, people of forgiveness, because of his grace and love and forgiveness filling us up. And so hear the warning that if that doesn't flow out of you at all, maybe you've never really encountered it in him. 
And the best illustration I could think of was, it's like, if you could think of, we're dry spiritually, and we need to be soaked with God's grace. And there's this massive waterfall over here. And I go and step into the waterfall, and God drenches me. If I get out, and there's somebody else that I'm dry with in a relationship, and I go and hug them, they're going to get wet now because the grace of God has soaked me. Right? Do you see that? Like it, just, it has to happen. Now, it's not going to be perfect soaking for me. I don't have that source like he does. Now, I can take them to him with me. But if, in, if, if all my relationships stay dry and there's never any grace, like I'm not, not, not getting anybody wet in that way, then maybe I haven't gotten soaked. Maybe I'm not living under that waterfall. That's what he's saying here. Like make sure that you're living and believing the grace of God to you. And here's how you know, are you extending that to others? Are you, are you being sat, so saturated with the moisture of his grace that when people come into contact with you, they get wet? They experience grace. That's what he's saying there. And, and that brings us to the Lord's Supper. So if somebody wants to bring the kids on in, like I want you to see that this is, like this is everything we've prayed today, but this is what we're talking about right here. That Jesus said, I know you're in debt. I know you can't pay it. That's why I'll pay it for you. He says, my body broken for you. You're supposed to be broken this way. And he's broken for you, and you don't have to be now. And he says, my blood, right? This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Like This is how, and I, and I do want you to hear it so I don't leave you in a confusing place with these verses. This is how you're forgiven, the blood of Jesus. Not by you being such a good forgiver. I'm not putting that weight on you this morning because Jesus lifted it off you. You will be forgiven because the blood of Jesus is where you find forgiveness of sins. But when you encounter Jesus in that way, when Jesus lives in you and he's changing you, you'll become a forgiver. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, this is a perfect segue, Q&A right after this, all right? We can talk about it some more and we can work through it some more. As the kids find their seats, if you want to go ahead and be prepping to open these, we're going to take the elements together, and then Keith is going to lead us in a song of worship. And as he does, pastors, elders, staff, wives will be down here. If you'd like to pray with somebody or talk to somebody about something that God's saying to you, or if you just want to come and pray on your own, it's always open for that. And not just during this song. I hope you know that. Anytime, anywhere. That's the beauty of the Spirit of God living in us. When God's speaking to you and there's something you need to say in community, come find one of us anytime, anywhere, anytime during a service. But we always want to set this time apart just as a specific time where we can say, hey, if God's doing something, you need to talk to somebody, pray with somebody, do it right now. So let's take the Lord's Supper together. Think on the love of the Father for you. That God loved you so much as his child that he broke his own son for you. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Think on the love of the Son for you. 
that Jesus said, Father, I know they can't pay their debt. I'll pay it for them. I know that their sin costs more than they can pay. My blood is worth more than their sin. And he paid the infinite and priceless Son of God, gave all he had, his entire self, to cover you completely and forever. That is the love of Jesus for you. He says, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, the new promise from God. This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Pray with me. Father, please keep teaching our hearts. Let it be your words and your spirit. Nothing that I've bungled or run through too fast or skipped over. I ask for your grace, Father, that you would teach and that you would build your church as only you can. We need you to do it. For your name, not ours. Your kingdom, not ours. Your glory, not ours. We need and you have. We are empty and you overflow. We are broken and you heal. We fall and you pick up. We believe that about ourselves and we believe that about you. And we know that you are more and so our hope is in you. Father, manifest that and let it be seen a million times over in our lives and in your church right now, this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?